Cool fact, a crocodile can't stick out its tongue. Also, you can get health insurance for a month or just under a year in some states. United Healthcare short-term insurance plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage for you. Learn more at UH1.com. Flexibility is great. That's why there's yoga. Flexibility for your insurance coverage is great, too. That's why there's United Healthcare Insurance Plans. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, United Healthcare Insurance Plans offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage for medical, vision, dental, and more. One of these plans may be right for you if you're, say, between jobs, coming off your parents' plan, turning a side hustle into a full hustle, or even missed open enrollment. Want more flexibility? Find out more about United Healthcare Insurance Plans at UH1.com. Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? Sleep Number Smart Beds let you individualize your comfort, so you sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 40% on the Sleep Number Limited Edition Smart Bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com awards. Only at Sleep Number stores or sleepnumber.com. You are listening to Missed Apex Podcast. We live F1. Welcome to Missed Apex Podcast. I'm your host, Richard Spanners Ready, and I'm joined by Matt Two Rumpets. Matt, it's the off-season. Why is there so much news and stuff to talk about? It's not the off-season for the people in the factories. That's why. That's They're a good working point, yeah. their, well, you know, various appendages to the bone. I think you could have said butts. I think that would have been okay. That's not a swear. You could have said working their butts off. And it's not the off-season for the F1 press office. It's not the off-season for F1 media people, uh, media outlets. Uh, we've had autosport. So you've had all the F1 drivers talking and saying things as well. Yeah. And just uh, not only have we had the F2 documentary on F1 TV, which sounds vaguely confusing, but it's important we should probably note that Drive to Survive is coming up fairly soon. And that turns Ooh. out to have brought a whole bunch of new people to the sport. So it's a very important time to be, you know, have some content up and available for people who have suddenly gotten interested in the dramatic arc of the season. Wow. Yeah. If there's a spike similar to last off season when Drive to Survive came out, then that's good news for everyone. And we're sitting here as podcasters who rely on our listener base to support us. Uh, we, we see that as very good news indeed. And also we're fresh back from our online racing, uh, iRacing event, Matt. That was that was so much fun. We had 30 listeners on the grid with us. It was fun. It was carnage. Uh, but more than anything, it was just a fantastic online hangout. You just enjoyed it because you happened to finish ahead of me in all of the races. I didn't happen to. I used my superior driving skill. There was certainly a random element, uh, but the community spirit was brilliant. We had a Discord chat open the whole time. One of the lads felt super, super guilty this morning. Uh, people have been emailing me all morning saying that they're still on a buzz uh, about the event. Uh, but one of the guys, he, he sort of skidded out Grosjean style and then just left his foot in trying to desperately save the save the spin and ended up cutting across everybody exactly like Roman Grosjean did. Felt terrible about it. Caused like a 15 car pileup. And we do have penalties in our iRacing thing. So we review the incidents and we give out penalties. Now, I've looked at that penalty. It is indeed his fault. But I went from uh, 20, 
23rd on the grid to 7th. So in my yeah. eyes, uh, no penalty. Yeah, it seems quite reasonable. And, yeah. and the thing is, like you say, like, oh, bad, keep the, your footed. But I can tell you from my personal iRacing experience that sometimes lifting off the throttle just makes it even more worse. <laughs> sometimes, <laughs> you know? sometimes when you're losing it, everything makes it worse. But as I say to my lad with the, with the karting, if, it's not, if you're crashing, take your foot off the loud pedal. Like, don't, don't accelerate so you can do some more crashing. Anyway, lots of fun there. Thank you very much to everyone who joined us. There will be highlights available towards the end of the week and we'll be live streaming future events. So look out for one in early March. We are an independent podcast produced in the podcasting shed with the kind permission of our better halves. We aim to bring you a race review before your Monday morning commute. We might be wrong, but we're first. It's not just me and Matt today. Uh, We are joined, as we often are, by PR man, journo, all-round news hound, Chris Stevens. How's it going, Chris? It's going great, fellas. It's been a uh, first week back at work kind of time. And uh, as you say, definitely no off-season for the likes of us. No, especially, I guess, in your line of work, this is this is the time that, that drivers are making noises and about the, the new season. Uh, I've done so many like team announcements and livery reveals and driver announcements, and I've still got loads more to come over the next two or three weeks. So no rest in January. It's, it's terrible having a job, isn't it? If it wasn't for all the stuff you had to do, it would be easy. We're also joined by our resident vet. That's right. We have a resident vet. It's Chris Catman Turner. Uh, sorry, Chris, you've had to forfeit your name. We already have a Chris, so you are just Catman on this show. Uh, it just uh, just makes me more exotic, that's all it does. Yeah, I think so. I think it does make you more exotic. Hey, uh, this is our panel, Matt, Chris and Catman. I'm Richard Spanners Ready. You can find me on Twitter at Spanners Ready or the show at Missed Apex F1. We're here to talk about news. Let's find out what it is. Big Dirty News. Well, Matt, I suppose it's quite apt that we were talking about crashing because our first news item is all about crashing on purpose to see what happens. Yep, the first and most important step in being ready for the next season is to pass the FIA crash test. And we have received word that not only has Racing Point, not necessarily any longer Force India, I honestly don't remember what they call themselves now, but Racing Point has passed its crash test. And we've also heard now that the second up, uh, Ferrari, has managed to pass as well. Um, and Alpha apparently had a go at it and didn't quite make the cut. So they've gone back to the drawing board. Well, I was going to say, like, this is news, I guess, because it's, it's marking the progress of the teams in preseason. And it's quite interesting. I've heard this term, crash test, crash test, crash test. Never really thought about what it is, but basically they put the, sh- the, the, the chassis without the wheels or suspension or aero onto a rig with the nose sticking out over a platform and they just hurl the the monocoque i guess at a wall and it has to survive and protect a driver catman yeah so it used to be in the in the good old days in the 90s when they used to throw them at the walls and they used to just crumble so they it's actually used to be very rare that they passed the first time at all it's actually you know quite a quite a new thing so it's uh, it's good for ferrari but and i wouldn't does, worry that alpha is not going to to make it to, to australia because of this i wouldn't be concerned 
that does bring to mind stories of Red Bull testing like 200 different noses back in the day to try and get the one that they really wanted. You want to clarify, is this Alpha Romeo or Alpha Tauri that we're, that we're talking about here? I, we can't just say Alpha anymore. And it begins. Ah, I will clarify. It's Alpha Tauri. Catman, you were trying to come in there? No. Well, that is my failure as host trumpets. Ah, and we're off to a rocking start, as it were. But what's also interesting, as you say, it's important because it marks the progress of the team in terms of their design passing, means that they can move on to work more on the arrow and the suspension and the other things you're going to want to improve between now and the start of testing. So it means like you're hitting your milestones. But we're also getting some rumors and whispers about how certain designs might be changing for the upcoming season, and particularly the Italian press has been all over this, uh, not only with Ferrari, but also with Mercedes. Yeah, some shocking news as well that Williams are are putting some aero on their car this season, so that should be interesting. Uh, But when we're talking about uh, getting ready for testing, it's only news, really, if they are failing crash tests and having a real problem. I think a couple of seasons ago, Red Bull, seem to be having a real problem with, with getting the car, the chassis, through the crash test. Uh, Catman? Yeah, you, you want to get through the crash test with the minimum uh, amount of uh, kind of weight, essentially. So the, the, the lighter that your, your car is and the st- crash structure is, the better you're going to be. But you're going to fail if you crash test doing so. Oh, I see. Oh, that's quite interesting. Thanks, Catman. Sorry, I didn't mean, mean to be surprised that you were saying something interesting. But yeah, so there is something significant there. Basically, they they, they want to be crash safe with the least uh, uh, crash penalty. So they might start off with something a bit more fragile and lighter and go, okay, that didn't cut it. We'll have to increase. Uh, but the reason I brought Williams up was there was a fantastically sad and good piece of social media from Williams where they were talking about only 90 days or whatever until testing. And then I think their social media guy suddenly realised that everybody hadn't forgotten last year when they turned up on the Wednesday instead of the Monday. And and they replied to their own tweet saying, in before the, yeah, but will you actually be there comments, which uh, which was both, which was both good social media, Chris. I'm sure you can appreciate that uh, as yeah. a media guy, but also, you know, kind of tragic as well. Well, it's quite similar to a sort of autosport feature style uh, that I was taught. Uh, which was that when you're making an argument in a feature, you address every kind of counter argument straight away yeah. and say, yeah, I know you're going to say that, but this. And so it, applying it in a kind of social media way where it just attacks the, the, those people who would say that straight away. Yeah. I love it. Yeah. So like on this podcast, we've got a choice. We can either do that or just wait for the emails. I mean, that's that's the lazier way, Matt. Yeah, it is a lazier way. And I apologize for changing the subject, but looking at the chat room, we may not have been entirely clear. AlphaTari has passed their test. Alfa Romeo failed their test. And <sighs> apologies if somehow the fact that both teams are called Alpha confused anybody. I mean, like, I don't really see that as being my fault. But I'm hey. confused. <laughs> I'm confused. Like, it, this is ridiculous. It, it's all, it's just the preseason. It is definitely going to be confusing. Like, we all know Alfa Romeo was was Sauber, right? I've got that right so far. Okay, fine. I could just about deal with that. I was calling them Sauber all season. So now we've got another alpha. We cannot, we just can't commonly refer to, to Toro Rosso as Alpha Turi. We can say Turi, 
or we can say the artist formerly known as Toro Rosso, it's not going to work. Like, poor, poor Crofty, poor, uh, poor, poor commentators around the world. It's the Felipe Nazar, Felipe Massa thing all over again, only with teams, so it's even worse. Oh, Stephen Armstrong has come in with a good suggestion. Uh, I like calling them Scuderia Tori. That might work. <laughs> that might work. That might be okay. Uh, anything else on these crash tests, Matt? Well, not so much on the crash test, but I want to talk a little bit about what we're hearing about the cars. Yeah. What, what are we what hearing? hearing is, I mean, if we think about Ferrari last year, what was what were some of their biggest problems? Understeer, tire management. So what we're hearing they're up to is they're moving to a shorter wheelbase. They've redesigned their gearbox so it's shorter. And they're going to have a higher rake. Now, this is starting to sound an awful lot like a Red Bull car that Sebastian Vettel used to drive. Um, And it's important to note that, uh, what was it important to note? That both Haas and Alfa Romeo. Nice, Sauber, got it. Sauber will be getting this gearbox as well. So that's going to affect the Haas and the Alfa Romeo design as well. Interestingly enough, if we're talking about Mercedes, we're getting the rumor, again, this is all from the Italian press, that they're going to be copying the Ferrari side pods. Okay. They're going to have a shorter, tighter rear end with something they called a inverted H, which I thought about H is like, looks the same both ways, but I'm not sure what they meant by that. And they're going to change the location of the fuel cell. So that they can go faster. And this brings up the fascinating word in Formula One, which is convergence in the sense that we have the cars moving towards each other. So at the end of the day, what you have is 20 cars on the grid, each of which costs half a billion euros to build. Yes. That are basically the same. But we don't want a spec series because that would be wrong. But we get it to that point where they're getting closer and closer, more and more competitive, the, the tighter racing that everybody wants, just in time to rip it all up. And that's that's probably where we're going next, I would imagine, Matt, from a news yep. point of view. Uh, the 2021 rules, uh, it feels like it's forever away, but really it is the very next season. And, and its influence is going to be looming large on everything that happens in 2020. What are we talking about today in relation to that? Well, uh, what we can talk about today um, will be the fact that, and you'll see it in Formula 2, that we'll have 18-inch wheels in 2021. And we also have a lot more strict suspension regulations. So you're likely going to see, and I think we've already heard this with Ferrari, deciding not to go with a heave element that's hydraulic, if that story is correct, because we're still at this stage of the season where we haven't seen anything with eyeballs. But if it's correct, them deciding not to go with a hydraulic heave element is more aimed at the uh, 21 regulation. Right, wait, 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 wait. Okay, because we're all sitting here acting cool like we know what heave element means. Exactly no one knows what heave element means. And, and I think you know this, Matt. You're, you're like my, my dad had a small grasp on German and he would go, ah, yes, that reminds me of the old phrase, hooken, burken, burken, burken. And then he, would, he wouldn't explain it. He would just let that sit in the air and everyone was too embarrassed to ask. So I'm going to say it. What is the heave element? It's basically a third element of the suspension to help control um, up and down motion. Up and it, down. It, normally you have two. This is just an extra third element that the rods connect to. 
And Mercedes has run a hydraulic one. Red Bull ran a hydraulic one for a while before they switched back to uh, springs. And But what you're seeing is the suspension is going to have to be greatly simplified for 2021. So okay. you're going to see some of these fancier elements dropping out perhaps ah, right. this year in anticipation of where the regulations are headed. That's basically what I'm saying. Yeah. And a lot of the, uh, because of the 18 inch rims, you know, you're going to lose a lot of the uh, suspension travel or a lot of the damping through the, through the tires. You're going to lose a lot of that. So suspension is going to be working harder, but yet be simpler. So it could lead to some unsettled cars, I think. It could. I, I think F2 will be pretty interesting to watch. I don't think they have a whole lot of testing, but at least three of the teams have built mule cars to test the 18 inch wheels already. And I haven't heard anyone complaining about it. So I don't think it's really that far outside their technical remit it probably goes just deeper into the history they already have i hope we do get some slightly more unsettled cars because uh, i think one of formula one's biggest problems is that sometimes it looks a little too planted yes and uh, i really really like watching racing cars squirm around and drivers catching over steer. Oh. like uh, back in 2014 when they had so much uh talk before they learned how to map it properly and so little downforce because they'd taken away all the blown diffusers well, I mean, and all yeah. the wings. I mean, if you watch like footage of Damon Hill, uh, uh, I might be getting this wrong, but Damon Hill was was he? Did he have a race at Malaysia? I'm sure I saw a clip of him coming out of the final corner at, at one of the flyaway races, and he will have done, yeah, yeah. And the thing was just squirming around everywhere. But even even like you know, Coulthard and Hacken and were having to deal with that. But you're, you're absolutely right. You you can watch them even in a practice session now, Catman, and they just, it, it looks very casual. What We should make it, just give them MX-5s. <laughs> All they need to do is just, uh, with the onboard cameras, just unscrew their mountings just half a turn, just so they <laughs> jiggle about a bit. That's you, what they used to do in the 90s. You joke, but this is like a legit thing that, that some series do, so that at high speed, it's jostling around like crazy and makes a, a really good TV sensation um there's a really great one in some other series where they have parts on the car that when they connect deliberately spark just to make yeah. it look a little bit more interesting uh, uh what 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 kind of makes it seem a bit too casual at the moment is the the lack of busy hands so when you look at the onboards not only does it look smooth it, it really it really doesn't look like they're fighting it so when you watch like onboards with senna and stuff like that it looked like they were fighting that car and that that wheel was springing back and and fighting them it felt like a real what now it kind of looks like a sunday you know you go dun, 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 it all looks very smooth and gentle i've just realized that i did all those sound effects on a, on thinking of the video but uh, so for audio people all they heard was me just going that was it's an incentive to watch the YouTube yeah, channel. Yeah, why not check it out? <laughs> Just that one bit. <laughs> you like you like the guy at Kota last year on the uh, on the live TV stream to started oh, making yeah. zooming noises. Lose half a point. It was in 2018. You're the quiz master. How can you fail with basic trivia like that? I'm wrong, but first I fit in perfectly. True, true enough. What what else for 2021? Well, the thing about 21 is. Really, it's going to be such a simplification, but I think uh, Chris has brought us the story about the fear that it will be as slow as F2 again, given all the huge change in aerodynamics. Slow yeah. as F2, Chris. Yeah, so Otmar Zafnauer, um, the uh, team principal of Racing Point, 
did say that he was worried about Formula One being as slow and some of the cars, you know, slower than Formula Two. Uh, and be- this is because in 2021, the cars are going to be heavier. They're going to have less downforce. But Formula One is currently 15 seconds quicker than Formula Two. So let's say at worst, a Williams that is five seconds a lap off the pace is 10 seconds quicker than the fastest Formula Two cars. So how much time are they actually that so they're not losing 10 seconds a lap? I'll tell you that much. They're going to lose two, maybe three tops. So is what is 12 seconds a lap quicker? Not, not good enough for Formula One. I, okay. So from a baseline, I, I don't care at all what the stopwatch says. If, yep. if you gave me really close racing and you, you made them 20 seconds a lap slower, you, you could make really fast, really interesting-looking cars that are frightening, that most mere mortals couldn't drive. You could take away the driver aids. You could take away a bit of the power steering, make that thing wrestle back and, and kick you in the face, Catman. You could do all of that 20 seconds slower, and, and it wouldn't affect the sport. The, 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 the issue seems to be the comparison to, to other things. So, I mean, that's the baseline that we're at. But surely, if Formula One slows down, slow down Formula Two. It's not rocket science, is it? May I refer you to IndyCar, who are that much slower, and they do, you watch an onboard from an IndyCar, they look like they're having a great <laughs> fight with it. It's wonderful, and they can battle. If it goes anywhere near some looking like that, I'm very happy. And another thing about, you know, about this, this point that Zafnau brought up, in 2014, and uh, this, the, the high point of this was at the Spanish Grand Prix, uh, because it's, it was all about aerodynamics, and obviously the aerodynamics was the biggest hit in 2014. The likes of Cater and, and Mauricio were slower than the top cars in, in Formula 2, I think like the top two or three cars in Formula 2, or GP2 as it was um, back then. I sincerely doubt we're going back to that, but even if we do, what's so awful about that? I, the Formula 1 cars are still the fastest cars in the world, on the racetrack. So why is it such okay. a problem? Uh, Matt, I bet that if Formula One uh, just asked really nicely the guys over at uh, Tag Heuer, do they still sponsor the F1 things? I, I don't know. Um, they just ask them, look, guys, got a bit of a problem. The new cars, the racing's fantastic, but it's just it's 20 seconds slower. Could you just could you just speed up your, your little timey apps and, and, and present it to everyone as if the times had actually got faster? no one person would notice and then what we could do is shout him down as a conspiracy theorist and throw words like logical fallacy at him and then matt we just wait till he cries and goes away and we all enjoy our super duper sport i love that plan but from a more practical point of view they expected the cars to be slower this past season by several seconds and they weren't they were faster except for williams which we'll put in a corner all by itself the cars were all faster this year than last year, and they expected them to lose, you know, the second or two easily. And I think also I want to bring out the point that these cars are fast. Yeah, aerodynamics, this, that, the other. These cars are fast because the power units are really what matter. And the power units are not changing at all. So, yeah, maybe they'll be slower in the twisty bits, but slower in the twisty bits means faster on the straight. So I don't I can't imagine them losing 15 seconds of lap time. The the people designing the cars are way too clever to let that happen. They also said that the 2019 cars would have 
horrendous understeer as well because they were taking away front downforce and only front downforce. Uh, and that didn't end up happening either. And Formula One's going to take a pace hit in 2021. Fact. They're going to recover it quicker than you think. But not before we have a massive knee-jerk reaction. So if, if they come out of the grid in 2021, Chris, that's it. Panic, bolt downforce onto it, put a little runner underneath each car and just do like skeletric line grooves that they get powered off and just have them like literally stick to that slot all the way around. And we'll have, we'll have one minute laps at every race. Do you know what's hilarious? I brought up the 2014 Spanish Grand Prix and that is the exact race that suddenly Formula One went, nope, the cars need to be <laughs> five seconds a lap quicker in 2017. So my, my, my broader question here would be, what is it that people want from Formula One regulations? And I, I'm happy to put that out. I mean, uh, maybe we could get some emails if someone wants to paint a vision of exactly what they would want uh, Formula One regs to be. And we'll happily discuss them here in the off season. But, but I, I, I get the feeling now, and I, I don't want to sound all boomery. I really, I really, really don't. But I get this feeling now that there is an impatience for every season to be a classic, for every single race to be a classic. Like when there's one boring race, people are beside themselves. Oh, I can't. Oh, that race was boring. Like forget the six previously really good races we had. The, the the fear is that we are actually pushing for an F1 that never existed. And what F1 has naturally done, I think as me and Matt touched on earlier, it's gone through ebbs and flows. So you'll get these regulations, uh, teams will disappear off into the distance, a team will dominate for a bit, and, and people wave crescendo back in together. Suddenly the pack is all mixed up for a season and that changes. And that's what makes those seasons special, you know, 2012 being a good example, 2014 being not a good example. But that's how F1 goes. So I just want to know, what do people want, Chris? They It feels like they just want 2012 all the time, and that just isn't the nature of F1. People want Formula One to be like it was when they were uh, when they were kids, for example. Oh, that hang on. Nostal- hang all on, that who- nostalgia, which has been mind-bendingly warped in their memory because they're like, oh, it's so much better in the olden days. And then you actually go back and look at it yep. and it was just as awful as it is now. When I was That's a team, well, I, I, anyway. I, well, Catman, I mean, you're a lot older than me. Jeez, look at that. No, not. I think you're younger <laughs> than me. Uh, but I, I was a teenager throughout the whole of the 90s. So that is like my prime falling in love with F1 experience. It's much better now. It's much better. Oh yeah, absolutely. The the field spread nowadays, if you exclude Williams this year, is is minute compared to what it used to be. You used to be getting cars just not able to qualify and dropping off the back of the grid. I was also going to say that is is part of this also because we live uh, in a new era where you've got your phone no more than a, an inch away from you all the time, and. What's that app that you're on, Chris? That that gives you ninety second videos, not the dating app, the other one. I think TikTok. That's it. Are you on TikTok? I'm not on that. How dare you? Van Jean is always bringing <laughs> in Alex that Van Jean, our race analyst in our group chat. Yeah, he's always posting TikToks and telling us to go on TikTok. Now, I I have I've given TikTok a fair whack, and there's there's a lot of fun stuff on there. But I know this isn't to do with F1. Oh, it kind of is because no, F1, Formula One's on TikTok. Yeah, now. Formula One now has a TikTok account. But if you if you are not on TikTok and you are over thirty five, I'll I'll save you a bit of trouble. You know the film Napoleon Dynamite, where he he gets up on stage and does you know all 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 of that, yeah, all of those dance moves. Sorry, audio listeners, again, you've missed out. That's TikTok. 
It's just kids videoing themselves being Napoleon Dynamite and showing you. Oh, we used to mock. We used to mock and bully those people. But now, now they're social media stars. Apparently, okay. Send all the okay boomers you want. Uh, why? Why? Who brought up t- Catman? You brought up TikTok. This is your fault. You get us out of this cul-de-sac with words, Catman. <laughs> okay, good. Well, that's a complete failure. Oh, right. Okay. So I think where we should go next uh, is uh, towards uh, towards more whinging about young people. I think that's what we should do. More whinging about young people. Disagree, Matt? No, I was going to just say don't go toward the light, but that's just me. I'm not that old. How dare you? I was um, I, I was dis- I, I was contemplating having a new media age. I don't like being 39. I certainly don't want to be 40. So Wait, I was thinking I might have a meeting. 39? Oh, my God, that's old. Shut your face. You sound like my daughter who said, your young days are definitely behind you, Dad. <laughs> Why are you telling? Do you know what made it more savage? She was hugging what? me while she said it. She hugged me and said, oh, Dad, your young days are far behind you. What a horrible gift. She's taking right after Mrs. Spanners. Is, is that your real age or your media age, Spanners? <laughs> no, uh, my media age will be 31 from now on. There should be no talk of the before time. And then I can relate to people like Lando Norris, who, let, let's be honest. In fact, let's go to Chris uh, as, a, as, as, a, as a, a PR public relations guy. Lando Norris, from a PR point of view, uh, from a personality point of view, has been a complete sensation. So I don't want anything we say after this to sound like we're being negative towards him. Uh, but he has been a complete sen- He has changed how nearly everyone in F1 media is reacting. It's infectious. And the way some like older journalists like try and catch on to it, he has been super, super cringe at times as well. But he's changed everything. Yeah, I, I liken him to Charles Leclerc in that he is uh, not only a fantastically talented racing driver, which is always a big plus when you're trying to market it's a useful, driver. Yeah. Uh, it's, it's the biggest tool, yeah. Uh, but he is also a great personality. Uh, Leclerc's got a great backstory behind him as well, but uh, Lando Norris has this brilliant uh, knowledge of what makes good social media content. Um, I think it's just programmed into everybody under 25 these days. Yeah, what's uh, what's funny? What's going to react well? And it's great because you you post one really cool viral video on on social media, and suddenly you're reaching a, a whole new audience that gets people interested not only in, in Formula One but in you know your specific story. Yeah, I mean, I think it's important to remember Liberty is putting a lot when they bought the company on improving this aspect in particular of Formula One and Lando. Uh, being of an age, and I've watched my daughter, and I'm sure you will too, Spanners, as your kids get, you know, a wee bit older. Social media like this is a simply part, they grow up with it. It's intrinsic to who they are, and they have an understanding of how to use it and manipulate it that us old folks who come to it later in life will never quite have. And I cannot tell you how many times I've been corrected on vocabulary words <laughs> at my age I am not allowed to use. There's a really interesting thing just about Lando as a, as a unique personality, because there are plenty of young people in Formula One who don't use social media the same way he does. Certainly, he, when he came into Formula One, he came in with this sort of boyish charm and this, this wonder. Like, well, yeah, because um, he's 15. So, of course, he's yeah, got a boyish charm. Yeah. 
He's not no, got a grizzled true. war veteran charm, has he? But it was com- well, it was coming in, you know, like uh, D- Dorothy after landing in Munchkinland for the first <laughs> time, and the whole world's in Technicolor. Uh, okay, that's what he was like coming into Formula One, and it was it was really great to watch. But I loved. I think this is what a lot of people liked about Lando was that he just wanted to be funny. He didn't take things too seriously. Like even the, the China incident when he got, he got taken out of a race, no fault of his own. And he just decided to have a laugh with it. And it's just such a refreshing change of pace from the, you know, robot drivers who have come in and, it, you know, meet more Z. Yeah. I am robot driver says PR line. Yeah. Okay. So you're right. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. I want to thank the teams back at the factory, et cetera. Yeah. And Lewis Hamilton has certainly fallen into that. Uh, you have to say, Catman, you're, you're a sim, sim racer, Catman, as well. Uh, but if Lando Norris wasn't an F1 driver, you could easily see him being a YouTuber with a sim racing channel, live streaming races as he does anyway. He has a natural, uh, a natural media savviness and awareness. He's genuinely entertaining. Oh, absolutely! Yeah, he could uh, he could be following the millions without being a, a Formula One driver. It's I just hope that his recent comments wanted to become more serious. You know, yes. it doesn't kind of just sap that from him. Because okay, so so the comments, uh, and that is why we're talking about this. Uh, and I saw him then subsequently being interviewed at Autosport. He says, "When it becomes more serious, I haven't as focused focused as much as I should do, and so on, uh, and worked on as many areas as I should do." I think I started to take it a little bit for granted. There's a genuine danger of that, Chris. Yeah. Uh, I think being trained by McLaren his entire career, I can't remember how long he's been on that program, maybe since like 2015, whenever he won the BRDC award, um, has has really helped him in, in that regard as well. But you don't know it properly until you actually get to, to where he is now. And now he knows when to to scale it back and be be serious about the right things. Yeah, it's actually really uh, funny talking about this in context of McLaren because you know if it was back in the back in the day when Lewis started, I, I don't think this sort of thing would have flown at McLaren with Ron in charge. That's for sure. But even back then, social media was not a bigger thing. I mean, Formula One woke up to social media in what 2015, way too late, way after everyone else did. And the, I don't think any of the drivers just ever got on board with it properly. And there is social media is such a weird thing to try and I- I explain about how to do it properly and how to engage uh, a proper audience that makes it, you're not just creating stuff for Formula One fans who are trying to make stuff that is going to get to as many people as possible and introduce Formula One to a new audience. And they've spent so long <laughs> trying to get to that point. And Lando is probably the first driver to be part of that. Yeah, well, it's worth bringing up that a big problem for Formula One is the broadcasting agreements that they have. We know that Lewis Hamilton was absolutely prohibited from doing live Instagrams from the paddock. And Matthias, oh, where did you go? Hackman um, (laughs) said, I'm disappointed that Lando isn't allowed to live stream in the paddock. And I think that Formula One, FOM, would be happy to grant that license. But I think they have issues with broadcast rights around the world. And I can tell you, having been to a Formula E event as a journalist, and Chris will back me up on this, they are incredibly strict about what you are and are not allowed to do while the race is going on live. And this conflict is part of what Liberty is trying to work around in order to make Formula One an ongoing and more successful enterprise. 
I think any other series would let you do what Lewis wanted to do. Most other series, the only thing they will tell you is you are not allowed to, you know, video or broadcast anything that we're already broadcasting, like press conferences and obviously on track action. Mm. Whereas he, if I if I remember rightly, he just wanted to to film him walking around the paddock and do like a little Q and A session to his Instagram followers, which I think any other series would let him do. Okay, so the problem is when when Lando gives a an interview to Motorsport.com or to Will Buxton. Uh, or to another outlet, say Joe Saywood, then that person's job, in the case of Will Buxton, or their accreditation in the in the instance of Joe or Motorsport.com, is at risk if they do anything bad. So their continued existence and their continued accreditation depends on them upholding the rules and the standards and everything that have been set by Formula One to keep it strict, because that is a Formula One brand and all the accreditation and, and salaries of their employees comes from that. When Lando Norris walks around doing blah, 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 hey, this is me doing me, funny, 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 he's an entity into himself. Now then, he's not Formula One driver Lando Norris. He's media employee of Formula One or media uh, beholden to Formula One as well. That adds another string. Same with Lewis Hamilton and his Instagram. And it's it's a, a, a source of media and branding that they then can't control. And I think with Formula One, they just might be too big to allow the drivers to just go. Imagine Daniel Ricciardo. They said, right, if Daniel Ricciardo said, right, I want my own camera crew who's going to follow me around and be posting stuff on Instagram that I'm doing, dancing, shoving people over, whacking people in the nuts, all that kind of stuff. It would be funny. It would be brilliant. But there's absolutely no way F1 as a media branding entity could control that. So whilst I agree, Chris, logistically, it might be very difficult. A lot of comments coming in saying they couldn't take Lando Norris seriously for like a title challenge with his current attitude. Um, And I have to say, I disagree with that kind of notion. The idea that you have to be a horrible person to win a championship. I, I agree a bit, though. I agree a bit. Okay, so this is where the dad in me comes out uh so so like my, my son my son Treeface is is very much has the same kind of spirit as lando uh he he sees every moment as an opportunity for joy and for laughs and which is wonderful uh, to an extent but at some point you have to do the work now if lando himself is saying i haven't been as focused as i should be I, i've let that silliness uh, overtake stuff we should probably take that uh, at face value and maybe he has done that but I think if, if if that was my boy, I would be having a word in his ear about how he's been this season. Now, that might be because I'm a boring old fuck. But when you see things like him just absolutely creasing up in a press conference, it's wonderful. It's, it's great to see that joy, but it's not professional. And it does belie a, a, a deeper level of where his mentality and work ethic is, Chris. I think, right, to an extent, because he, he's saying it, then maybe he has taken it too far. No, he's but saying the, the, it because uh, his team have probably told him as well. But I'm yeah, sure. probably. But then there's, I don't know, what about like the sort of Albon level of, of niceness? You know, I think we've said on this show, we've had this debate, you know, is he too nice to properly get his elbows out? And I think the one thing you find that is most common among racing drivers is that they have such different personalities in and out of the car. Uh, and it's the whole thing of once the visor goes down, that is it. You know, you become a completely different person at that point. Yeah, so maybe in Australia in his first race, he didn't get his elbows out on Giovinazzi. But then through the rest of the year when he was fighting 
in Bahrain with Raikkonen and he kept him behind him towards the end of the race for a good number of laps. And that is a track that's easy to overtake on and with a very experienced driver who was quicker behind him. You've got to, you've got to think that the boy's got some talent and he can, can do it. So I, I just don't agree at all that, that just because he's dice, he couldn't go for it. Trumpets. Yeah. You've heard of the garden path. This is the button path. And I think his, the way he is makes people think that he might be headed the same way Button was, which is a lot of talent, not a lot of dedication. Uh, right. yes. And I don't think that's the case. I think if he can look back at his first year and say that, you know, I can see where yeah. I needed to have been more focused, then then he's headed the right direction. But I don't think you can take his how he is as a person on media yeah. as a reflection of how hard he works. When the cameras are off. No, I, I agree. And look, uh, we must, look, he's a young lad. <laughs> he's coming to Formula One, I think, with the right attitude, which is not to put so much pressure on himself. Because there, there is a genuine thing of performance pressure. If every race is the most important thing in the world and every result is the most important thing in the world, it, it's a very easy, easy way. I'm sure, Matt, you must know this as a musician. If you were to berate and chastise yourself over every time you got a note wrong, I mean, there's only three notes. How hard can it be? But you would lose your confidence that you are a good performer. So for Lando to go in there and say, I've got the core confidence, I know I can drive, uh, so I can feel the joy, have fun, take the pressure off myself. If he's just tipped slightly over to one side and him and his team have recognised that he needs to bring it back, then good. And then, you know, let's see where that brings us in 2020. We're going to move on now after a word from our sponsors. Selling a little or a lot? Shopify helps you do your thing however you cha-ching. Shopify is the global commerce platform that helps you sell at every stage of your business. From the launch your online shop stage to the first real-life store stage. All the way to the did we just hit a million orders stage. Shopify is there to help you grow. Shopify helps you turn browsers into buyers with the internet's best converting checkout. 36% better on average compared to other leading commerce platforms. Because businesses that grow, grow with Shopify. Get a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash work. Shopify.com slash work. Ready to pop the question? The jewelers at BlueNile.com have got sparkle down to a science with beautiful lab-grown diamonds worthy of your most brilliant moments. Their lab-grown diamonds are independently graded and guaranteed identical to natural diamonds. And they're ready to ship to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Okay, so we are, this is like the Spanners half hour coming up now. This is like, oh, Spanners, what would you like to talk about? Well, I'd like to talk about Perez and Hamilton, please. Uh, so it looks like in the show notes, Matt, that you have so wonderfully prepared. You have catered for my, for my exact needs. 
So there's two stories here. So this may not seem F1 related uh, from from the off, but Lewis Hamilton gave half a million dollars for the Australian Fire Wildlife Relief. And we have a big audience in Australia. So I, I really, I know they're suffering. Our video editor, Steve Amy, is also out there in Australia in the thick of things. So our team is not unaffected. You have our deepest sympathies and we hope that you're dealing as best you can in the situation. I've seen overlays of of the affected areas where they overlay it like onto parts of Europe or, or overlay it into the heart of Britain. And you go, well, actually, it would be the same as like Britain being on fire or certainly England being on fire. Uh, so I hope that I hope that you are doing the best you can out there. Uh, but Matt, the story really is that Lewis Hamilton. Uh, in fact, let's go to let's go to Catman because you're a you know you're a wildlife guy. You're a wildlife guy. It seemed to make a lot of people angry, Catman. Why why were people so angry at Lewis Hamilton for making this donation? It seems like the guy can do no right sometimes. I mean, the, the problem is, I think it's it is people see it as a case of virtue signaling. I think because you know the guy's donated a lot of money. It's it's fantastic, but a lot of people have said, well, you didn't need to boast about it. I don't know. For me, though, I think if you say yes, I've given all of this money, it might spare other people going, oh yeah, I can do that too. I have such a problem with this argument because they first of all said that's not enough money when is when is that amount of money not a significant amount of money anyway the the thing about bosnia should he not use his considerable following to influence and to raise awareness and to actually actively help beyond just donating the money it's it's like he's a criminal out there to these people, and it's ridiculous. Okay, well, f- uh, first thing, bit of uh, show housekeeping here. Uh, behind the scenes, whenever I wanted Chris to talk in the past, because he was a specky four eyes, I I would just do, I would do that and be like, "Your turn to talk." Now that you've had your laser surgery, I need a new I need a new hand signal for you. So maybe the like quiff. the quiff would do that. Uh, out of curiosity for Matt, I do I mind playing the trumpet, and and for Chris Catman Turner, I do. I do like that, like a cat roaring at you. Uh, Matt, if I was in the position to give half a million dollars to a charitable fund, I would like to think I'm a good enough person to want to do it. Also, I am definitely enough of an attention seeker to tell everyone that I'd done it. You would definitely see uh, a Twitter post from me saying, hey, guys, you know, we all need to do a part. Uh, no, no biggie. I've dropped half a million dollars. That's just me. That's just, you know, that's just, that's the kind of guy I am. So, okay, so, so what? So what? It's like, you go, okay, should we take that half a million back? Because he was showing off a bit. I, I don't know. Well, this, I'm, I hate to be on the same page with Chris, but I'm on the same page with Chris. Like, I had this chat with my daughter and she's like, no one in America is talking about it. I'm like, that's because we really don't care about Australia at all in America. It never makes the news. Like, even when their prime minister disappeared, it was like half a sentence in one paper that was a long time ago in the 60s but she's like no one is talking about these fires and the unbelievable devastation they're wreaking on wildlife and on the australians who live in these states and we're talking about it in terms of hamilton using his platform to boost signal about this about the level of crisis this is because it is easy to forget about australia on the other side of the world but we're also talking about it on this show because yeah. Victoria, yes. one of the states where the fires are, happens to be where Melbourne is located, which is the start of the Formula One season. And it's not inconceivable 
that that could be a real issue by time it's we're ready to go racing. Yeah, it has already affected some motorsport out there, and also the the tennis warm up as well. They've been uh, uh, wearing masks even when they're in the hotels out there, just so that they don't breathe in the the ash. And I saw a, a, a satellite photo that showed the the ash cloud actually over Argentina. That's how big a cloud it's got. It's it's just uh, just devastating. Yes. So, so once again, I mean, we, we can't, we can't say enough, uh, our sympathies for, for the country and, and hope, and just, just hope there's some, I don't know how this works, but hope there's some change in the wind because this is a, a global event. It's not just Australia. This is a, a terrible, uh, sign of, of what we're going through at the moment. And it's also, uh, it's also something that is, is going to be historic. You know, this is, this is Great Fire of London, Australia edition. Yeah, it is. I mean, just think about the amount of carbon being added to the atmosphere by all that burned biomass alone. Okay, right. Before we get too political, (laughs) before we get too political, the story was there because it involved Lewis Hamilton and it might affect the Australian Grand Prix. I I just happen to know that everyone here on the panel is 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 touched by it on a... I want to say emotional level, but that sounds a bit wet, doesn't it? Uh, Let's uh, let's talk uh, Perez. He's in the big dirty news. Dirty News. That's right. This is a news show. F1 news show. That's what we're doing. We do all sorts of different shows. If this is the first time you're listening to Missed Apex Podcast, then uh, I tell you what, we do all sorts of things. We do a race review show at 8 p.m. on on the night of the race. So you'll watch your race in the afternoon. You can settle in. You can either watch us on the live stream that evening and you can join us in the live stream. You, You just go to YouTube. You search for Missed Apex Podcast and you can chat along like the chat room are doing there, like Juggy, uh, Azar, Anton, an international crowd here, Wicked and Wise. Uh, let's have a scroll up and we have got Merkman. We have got John, Jerome and Michael. Hello, guys. There are currently 300 people watching us live. It gets up to about 700 at a time during the race reviews. It's an incredible experience and also at uh, in total about 3,000 people come and watch us live at times. So come and join us in the live stream, or you can settle down uh, and and you can go to sleep, let the F1 sit overnight, and we will be there ready for you on your Monday morning commute with an audio download with all my ridiculous errors edited out and a, a video version that has been sent all the way to Australia to Steve Amy and comes back polished and uh, with lots of like fancy graphics and stuff on it. So that's what we do here. We also have internationally renowned F1 journalist Joe Saywood, who was at Autosport back in the dawning of F1 journalism proper, has been to every Grand Prix since 1988 and has monthly visits here in the shed. Joe is in the paddock week in, week out. Nobody in the journalism world, has a better insight into F1. And he comes and shares it with us, which is fantastic. We also have an ex-F1 team principal, Matthew Carter. He was the team principal at Lotus uh, in ooh, just after Kimi Raikkonen left. He was team principal for two years. And he jumps on here a few times a year as well and comes and talks to us about F1. So do subscribe to us and keep us company for 2020. All sorts of different kind of shows coming up but matt this is a news show and the the biggest news here is actually this paris story is twofold there's two elements so the first element is i've been proved correct by a respected journalist that perez is in fact the greatest driver in formula one if not of all time 
But actually, if we if we flick over to Chris, uh, the big story here is actually that Ed Ed Straw from Autosport is now writing for Formula One proper. I believe freelance. Wow, so, you're still getting right. money to do work for but, them. But yeah, it's pretty cool, isn't it, to be writing for you know, Formula One. Uh, Matt Perez confirmed goat greatest of all time. That's basically what the article says. Well, it makes the point, which I think is fair, that in many ways as a driver, he has been underrated. Um, He's the best driver I have seen at dealing with this generation of Pirelli tires. And he is wickedly good at making sure, regardless of where he qualifies, his car makes it into the points. Whether that translates all the way into being the best driver of all time, or he would win a world championship in a leading car, I would go so far as to say I think he would as long as he was the clear number one driver and had no direct competition. I would argue the whole tete-a-tete with Ocon shows very clearly where he, when he feels uncertain of his place in the team, he is much more prone to error. Singapore. Yeah, I'll I'll jump in here and say that I totally disagree with that because first of all, you got the McLaren year. If you're going to say that he was too young and inexperienced for that, I don't buy that as an excuse. Plenty of young drivers, <clears throat> Lewis, have come in when they were very young and have taken on the the goats of the time. Um, also, Perez's particular sets of skills make him a excellent exceptional midfield driver with the the tire management it means you can do the wacky strategies to be able to get yourself up the uh, up the road and sometimes get podiums you know fantastic when there's a top to turvy race and he's on an alternate strategy you can get there but when you're having to run similar strategies to other people and uh he's having to go wheel to wheel with them i have not seen as much as i'd like to to be able to then say he could then go on and win a world championship. I just don't buy it at all. I, I, I think the comparisons to Vettel aren't unfair, and they are comparisons that only I'm making. And I'm not talking about the ability to pirouette on a sixpence. Uh, Vettel should, should try some rallycross. But there, there's, that, there's that element of just being able to maximise what you have in the race, an awareness of what is going on. Uh, it's, it's the sporting element of the race that Vettel is actually the best at, and I think it's the sporting element of the race, Catman, that that Perez is the best at. But if we want to, if we want to say, okay, well, you're lacking that final tenth outright pace. That's fine. But it's F1. If the if the fastest ever drivers over a lap, and that's just how we decided the championship. If that's how we did it, it would be a very different championship. You know, you've got drivers like Alonso, like Vettel, like Perez, who who kind of can can tip the odds by by the sporting element of it. I would actually say that I wouldn't, I put Alonso and Perez in that category. I wouldn't put Vettel in it because when uh, when Vettel had the car to his liking, he won nine races on the trot. But when he's not got that car, he's, he's, he's not necessarily able to, to bend it to his will like some of the other drivers can. And Perez has, has had lots of different midfield cars with lots of different characteristics and still has been you know, pretty high up there. So I say, I think he's an extraordinary midfield driver. 
And and that was Ed Straw's point in this. Uh, people are asking where to find it. Formula One dot com. <laughs> so he's writing for the big boys now. Uh, that is the point he was making. He's a, he's a real value midfield driver, and he has been able to maximise uh, thing. Aaron, uh, if I scroll up, Aaron uh, Beal. No, hang on a second. Let's find it somewhere in the chat. Uh, yeah, it was Aaron. Here we go. So why see why I didn't notice it is because he had an underscore. Underscores in usernames, guys. It's bad. So Aaron says. Thanks for joining us. Why has he never made it into a top team? And I, I wonder if you guys have any insight into that. The the McLaren thing probably hurt him, Chris. That. And I think that there, like you say, always been that lacking that final like 5%. But also timing. Timing is massive because if you think about how uh, Hamilton and Vettel hung, have hung on for so long at the front of the field, even if they're, they're switching teams, you know, Red Bull have already got people who are moving up through the order. Perez was part of the Ferrari Driver Academy, and supposedly there was supposed to be a seat for him in place of Felipe Massa, which then ended up going to, to Raikkonen because he was at McLaren. And I think had he gone to Ferrari, I think a similar thing might have happened, even though Ferrari had a, a decent car. I think it would have been just pretty demolished by Alonso. And the same damage to his career would have been done. So it, he's really come about at quite an unfortunate time in Formula One to not really make it. I think there's a, there's an alternative timeline somewhere where he does make it to a Formula One team uh, at the top and, and wins a few races. Um, maybe, maybe not a championship, but definitely could win races. Without casting too many shadows or aspersions, it's a it's a pretty simple equation. If you look at his qualifying versus Ocon, Ocon crushed him. And that tiny bit of top speed is something that is incredibly highly valued when you're talking about making the leap from a midfield to a top team. I mean, so when Botas was uh, at Williams, uh, he was regarded as the next big thing. And, you know, he was crushing all around him. And then he gets into the Mercedes and he doesn't have, or it certainly hasn't yet had that tenth of a second and that's what puts you behind on the grid it means you 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 get stuck in traffic and you just can't make the impressions and it, it makes a big difference when you're at the front i'm glad i'm glad you, we're going to tangent a little bit away from perez here i'm glad you brought up the bottas thing because i i've been thinking about just that like bottas was seen as a rising star but now everyone's you know got this really dialed down dumbed down uh impression of of bottas and and I was I was just feeling sympathetic. Ultimately, F one is not a place where you you either get the results or you you don't. It's it's not a great uh, place for sympathy. But he's coming to a team that was very much Lewis Hamilton's team, and I I remembered just randomly in my mind some interviews that Lewis Hamilton had in twenty uh, twenty thirteen. So the first year he went to Mercedes, and they were they were caning the qualifying. I think they were like on pole by nine-tenths in some races, and then they were just chewing up their tyres. And Lewis Hamilton, his response to that was, I've told the team, more downforce, more down, whatever the cost, more downforce. Whatever the cost of the cost of the top speed, more downforce. It doesn't matter about qualifying, that's not important. We need more downforce. He has been systematically making that team his since 2013. For Valtteri Bottas to come in and then deal with a car that, that has this specific trait, which is that, that Lewis Hamilton will push a car beyond the limit 
of, of how a lot of other cars are set up. And therefore, he has nagged that team since 2013 to make it be able to deal with his rather extreme driving style. Now you come in and you're Valtteri Bottas. Suddenly you're not you're not clipping you're not clipping the the limit. If 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 that Mercedes was set up in a different way for higher top speed and not just all about raw downforce, if that Mercedes car didn't rely on being absolutely thrown around in the corners and the braking zones, I I I will bet I don't know that that car is designed around a driver that is on the absolute limits of the brakes and turning and braking in the way that Lewis Hamilton does. Actually, it's, it's entirely unfair to expect Valtteri Bottas to come in, having had his old, whole driving career with his driving style, expecting to then jump into Lewis Hamilton's car and do the same. So, Chris, I know you were trying to get in, but Matt, I think you have a direct response to my point. Yeah, well, my response is very simple. As we learned with Carter and Summers, that the faster the car is driven, the better it works. And for Hamilton, the thing that I believe you're overlooking, and I believe it's the biggest single differential, is Hamilton has exquisite tire management. And Botas has never quite been able to match that. And multiplied over 70 odd laps on a Sunday, this is where we see the biggest performance differential. And in qualifying... He can get close, but over 70 laps, he simply can't quite drive the car as well. And that's everything. Okay, so that would put Perez back in the picture then with the exquisite tyre management. Yeah, of course. You need both. Absolutely. Uh, If you've only got one, they'll take speed. Okay, Matt, I think uh, we have time for one more news item from the list. And that means that we've got uh, lots left to talk about in the off-season as well. Next week, next Sunday, you are going to see uh, a pre-record tech time combined with an interview with Brian Sims, who's a lovely, lovely bloke who used to work at Benetton. He was the commercial manager at Benetton. So as well as some old war stories, we're going to have a look at what Formula One is doing uh, with current education centres. So talking about what F1 is doing in in universities and such like. So that will be a combined tech time and, and we'll have a chat to Brian Sims as well. There will be no live stream because basically our whole panel is at the British Rental Cart Championships run by Bradley Philpot. Alex Van Jean will be competing. Carl Power will be there because his team is racing. I don't think Carl is racing this year. I will be there as the co-commentator and pit lane reporter. So do go and search for BRKC on on Facebook. Uh, there's a live stream. Everything will be watched live there. Uh, they've got a great commentator, James Old. His his job is to call the race professionally, and he does. I guess my role there is to have as much fun as I can, and they let me do that. So it is a lot of fun. Uh, so next week will be a pre-record, no live stream. Uh, we'll be back the following week, which with maths I is like the 26th. Something like that. I think we'll be on with Kyle, Matt and Chris uh, doing more more of the same with this. I just want to take a second to say thank you uh, to our patrons. I'm just giving Matt time, really, to, to find to find a new story. But I want to give a shout out. I, I, I realised that on Patreon, I could patreon.com forward slash Missed Apex. I, I could look and I could see uh, who were our, our best, if you like. But but mostly it's our, our most long serving patrons. And I, I just wanted to give them a shout out. And I I haven't asked any of them permission to say their names. So I just, I hope I don't get in trouble, but I want to say thank you to all our patrons, uh, specifically Charlie Brisker, uh, Michael Kenton, Ray Thompson, Michael Howlin, Patrick Green, Darren Johnson, Justin Hyde, Joshua Geek, Mark Nelson, Martin Chapman, 
Sam Harper. Sam Harper, not so much because he humiliated us all in the iRacing and Paul Wright. Uh, but Matt, these guys are not just supporters uh, of us on Patreon. They've, they've also become people that we know and hang out with and see at karting events and chat with online in the Slack group and, and at these online sim events. It's all about the community. And to me, like just as a participant, one of the best things about this is that the community that has grown around the show is just fantastic. It's all the people that you would want, you would hope showed up at your local pub <laughs> and you can hang out with and have a pint and chew the fat or shoot the, you know what? And breeze. Exactly. And to hang out with them on Discord and iRace or to see them at carding events or even just to talk in the chat room while we're recording. It's just such a wonderful thing. It, it's been brilliant. So thank you very much to our patrons. I hope I haven't upset anyone by reading uh, by reading their names out. But thank you. If you want to join them, you can go to patreon.com forward slash missed apex. Patreon.com forward slash missed apex. And uh, you will receive in return. I mean, mostly you're just supporting a podcast and podcasts that are supported survive. Those that aren't fate. Uh, but also we will provide an ad free uh, feed that you can add to your podcast player. Join us in the Slack group as well. And we do some patron-only podcasts. It's not extra F1 content as such. We just, it's a more relaxed kind of podcast where we just sit, we turn the cameras off, uh, and we just have a natter. Uh, People often ask, and they do, they say they don't quite like that Patreon model. Is there another way they can contribute? And and there is. uh, There is, if you go on the homepage, patreon.com forward slash Apex, there's a Patreon button, but there's also a tip jar. Where you can where you can just donate and and help us keep the lights on. And for some reason, it's winter. For some reason, after last week's show, I've got no idea why. In the off season, in the week of of uh, of January the January the seventh that this week started on, for some reason, a lot of people came in with the tip jar, and I was absolutely blown away from from ten dollars to fifty dollars. Uh, there was unbelievable generosity, and I'm almost embarrassed to say that one person. Uh, came in with a hundred dollar donation in the tip jar, and I, if I will just take a second to tell you why that means so much to me. If you don't care about me personally and you're not listening to this live, feel free to skip forward a, a minute. That that's fine. Uh, and apologies to the live stream because you can't skip. Uh, but I'll tell you why that meant so much to me. Um, in July last year, I decided to quit my engineering job. And I decided to try and be a media guy. So I do radio voiceovers, uh, audio books. I spent a lot of time this week doing audio books, battling orcs and zombies through the heathlands, that kind of thing. But uh, I, I made uh, I made a contract with my family. In order to do this, we we saved a war chest, right? So we wait, we saved a war chest because we were going to lose the the earnings I made from engineering. And and that was the deal, right? Because no parents or trust fund, believe it or not, there's no trust fund in the shed, was going to bail us out if we couldn't pay the mortgage. So the deal was, if if that if if every month that I couldn't make up what I earned engineering, we would reach into the war chest and we would top up and we would top up the bank account to pay the bills and you know eat food. So the the upshot of that was that now every month I could look at my bank balance in the war chest and see it going down. I could literally watch my dreams disappearing in front of my eyes because the deal was when that runs down to the bottom, I go back and do uh, an engineering job. So we're not going to starve, but I would have to go back to engineering and possibly 
quite possibly drop mistake pegs and or other things. So, well, well, things are looking up and it has been pretty good. Regular voiceover work, uh, audiobook contracts and stuff. When those four big tip jar donations came in, my dream went from here. Like I could see it on the chart. My dream went from here to there. And if, you, if you're listening on audio, I've made the gap between my fingers slightly bigger. So I had a, a genuine emotional response to, to that. And I thank you. Patreon.com forward slash Missed Apex or the tip jar on our homepage, MissedApexPodcast.com. Going to press a button now and it's going to make a noise. Matt, what's the last news item? Well, I think new season. New races, new calendar. The 2020 calendar is out and confirmed, and there's already some controversy, I believe, about certain race times. Uh, But to me, what I'm really curious about is we have two new races, and I'm just wondering which one everybody is, of the two, is most looked forward to. Can I just say, you mentioned the start times. I'm going to make a stink about this, because who cares so damn much about the start times if it's on an hour later in the but people are kicking up a fuss because the british grand prix will start at 10 minutes past three local time boo who if it's on when you usually have your sunday lunch it doesn't make a difference it really doesn't well uh, hang on a minute let's let's not downplay convenience so i mean a oh. lot a lot of places okay. cater to the available audience. So if you're going to get a bigger audience after your Sunday lunch, that, that does make some kind of sense. You can't just go... Obviously, the casual fan, Chris, is going to is gonna be put off. You're going to pay for that. You can have all the principles in the world and say you're boo-hoos, but if it loses you revenue and advertising, that's the bottom line. No, because it's on at three minutes past ten because it clashes with the golf or Wimbledon or the Olympics or something. And they don't want it to be on at the same time as all that. That's why it's on at, at that time. It's like when they pushed the the start time to 10 minutes past the hour and people people lost their minds. And it makes no sense to me. One thing it does do is for the, the people who've gone to the circuit, it does make, if, you, if you've got a six-hour drive back to, to Scotland from Silverstone, it does make it that little bit harder to get back for your working day on the Monday morning, the, the, the following day. Tough! That's what you have to, going to a Grand Prix is like a major event, right? And you have to just sacrifice a little bit to, to get there. <laughs> I, when I went to the British Grand Prix in 2012, I sacrificed three hours of my life trying to get out the car park. Did uh, I complain uh, about it? No. So I think Matt, yes. and, Matt and Catman are going to represent people, you know, with families. <laughs> and, and, and dare I say, dare I risk being unwoke, but, but wives as well, or partners who might not appreciate antisocial hours, etc. I don't know. Someone's going to email. Trumpets. Uh, So which race were we talking about here? Well, uh, Silverstone, I believe, uh, has a different start time. Right. I I just caught it in the comments. And there there may be others as well. Well, then I am outraged. And I would like to add my voice to the throng of slightly inconvenienced people. Should we just bring the Japanese Grand Prix forward eight hours so that it's on at lunchtime that, i mean that would be that would be absolutely fantastic yes if you could arrange that yes please and do you oh. know what all, all like i guarantee you all the people complaining about it are europeans they do not get to say anything about it because steve our video editor will back me up and say watching grand prix in australia is horrible because they're always on at a different time and matt 
surely most of the races are on at a bad time for you as well. Uh, many of them are quite early slash late in the morning, night, respectively. Catman. Yeah, I, I feel for Australians once again, uh, just because they have to watch them. <laughs> Not only that, but they also, uh, until very recently, didn't have a, a decent feed to watch it on, as far as I'm aware. So they had to get uh, dodgy feeds at three o'clock in the morning. But all this fuss aside, which race are you more interested in seeing and why? <laughs> Right. I'm actually really interested in in the first part of the season because we're already not knowing who's going to be on top. And those two new races are Vietnam, which is race number three, and the Netherlands. We're not allowed to call it Holland. It's the Netherlands at race number five. So you know, you've, you've got – that's definitely going to spice up the first part of the year, especially since they won't have the, the data from previous years to run on. And if any practice is disrupted by rain or anything like that, we're going to have a fantastic race at both of those circuits. I am excited to see Zandavork. Uh, Zand, Zand, Chris, don't don't judge me. I haven't even said it yet. I could say it correctly. You don't know. Zandavork. You won't. Zandavork. Zandvoort. Don't be the gatekeeper. I can say I can say things however I want. I can call this I could call this mouse a hat if I wanted, and then it's up to you whether you listen or not. You are entitled to that opinion. I'm entitled to tell you you are very, very wrong. <laughs> so Zandvoort. Okay, I'll try and get that into my mind so I don't right. upset people. Okay. It really that doesn't really matter. <laughs> my top tip is Ricciardo for Zandvoort. Okay, I'm interested in, in Zandvoort, right? Because because of almost a carnival atmosphere because like the netherlands have their driver and they've been they've been dominating all the tracks and stadiums around europe and apparently it's already sold out so the enthusiasm for this is going to be a carnival of orange but i'll tell you one thing chris i i would actually like to go and experience that but after paul ricard there's there's no way i'm going this year not a chance what what just as a, a new yeah race. exactly like let them i i want make sure no. let, let them get the problems out of the way let them realize they don't have enough hot dog stands this year so that when i go there is a guaranteed supply of hot dogs and like <laughs> mustard with barbecue barbecue i use barbecue instead of tomato ketchup I'm, i missed dinner i'm hungry i would love a hot dog right now the good thing about it uh, of course max um will be going you know to this race in uh, red bull until 2023 now uh, which uh, that was a um, story from from this week. Yeah. It, it it is going to be a, a massive festival, I think, it, and uh, something really really special, I think. Especially if he wins, can you imagine? They'll go into raptures. Um, but I'm also really looking forward to, to Vietnam. I mean, a lot of people have criticised, you know, the the layout. Um, I have now made a promise to myself after Baku never judge a racetrack just from a 2D drawing on a piece of paper. Uh, because I really hated the track when I saw it, and then they go out for qualifying, and I absolutely fell in love with that circuit. So, I, I like how uh, you've but, coined a new phrase. Not quite as good as don't judge a book by its cover. Don't judge a track by its 2D drawing. I like yeah. that. Uh, where should we go? Exactly. Uh, Catman, you were trying to get in with the point? Yeah, I, uh, I'm also really looking forward to just going back to the Zandvoort quickly, um, just for the, the banked corner yes. uh, that leads... So we've got the DRS zone. They're not sure whether they've designed it so they could put the DRS zone starting before the banking section. Ooh, yeah. Um, but they're not, the FIA currently aren't sure whether they're going to put it before or before, uh, afterwards. So you'll I, have DRS on the banking? 
Yeah. Yeah. No. They, they will have it open through that bank. That corner. there is going to be some risk reward there because banking's fine so long as everything's stable. But the second you start to get a slightly squiffy there, Matt, as an American, you obviously love, love NASCAR. America. Uh, is the second you get slightly squiffy. In fact, on our iRacing uh, bonus round on an oval yesterday, didn't you do a full 360 and get wiped out? Uh, but I kept on driving. Car survived. Yeah. So yeah, DRS survived. around the banking. Incredible. Yeah. And it, it puts me in mind of when they let DRS happen between, was it turn one and two? And yes, Silverstone. Silverstone yes. made it quite interesting it to watch that race all of a sudden. And yeah, Ericsson put it in the sea. He did indeed. And uh, for those of you on Slack, Michael Dieselhoff has got some construction video. I think he's going to chuck up there later on. So if yeah. you're a member of the community, do check that out. But to me, this is a fight between the banking at Zanfort and the utter what could go wrong will go wrong in Vietnam because you know yeah. some crazy stuff is going to happen at the first race in a brand new city. I think um, what will help comparing, you know, when they had the DRS on Abbey, especially because it's it's quite a sharp corner, but also it, it, it's flat, you know, the, the banking will help the cars, you know, turn in at the very least. Uh, so, you know, you always say oh, you can go around a, a banked corner quicker than you normally could. So I think that's going to help them a little bit. And that's why they're adding the DRS in that. I got to say, you know, when you, when I look at the calendar, I, I am quite excited about it. Uh, and I will maintain that there are still, you know, five circuits that I would get rid of. And then it would be just perfect. Sorry, unmute myself. Right. Uh, so well, with now the... I have to edit that out. <laughs> if you'd have just unmuted yourself and talked, I wouldn't have to do anything. In fact, no. no, no. In fact, you know what? I'm leaving it in. That you can answer for that crime to our whole listenership. <laughs> I am definitely rusty. Anyway, what I was going to say, which was a very, very good point, we have the so that with the banking, you were talking about the fact that it's um, so it's actually converting the lateral forces to to vertical forces, which means that you're going to get less slip, so it will be easier to follow and go through there. I just hope that they've consulted Pirelli on this, remembering what happened Oof, uh, back at Indianapolis. No, too soon. No, no, no. They they've they've gone through this already, and I'm sure Matt's going to explain more in detail. I just want to say about that banking. They're they're getting a lot of comments at the moment saying having a DRS zone on a banked corner like that is a, a a really bad idea and really really dangerous. Do you remember when they used to allow DRS anywhere uh, in practice and qualifying? They were going through 130R at Suzuka with it open. They were doing all sorts of crazy stuff with DRS. Okay, Matt, uh, Matt, I will say, like, I have sympathy for the it's a really bad idea crew, but I, I definitely want to see it. Yeah, I, I would be fine with letting people use DRS whenever they felt like it, quite frankly. I mean, they're grown-ups. Yeah. You know what your car can do, and if you get it wrong, well, then that's that's kind yeah, of on it, you it, a little changes, bit. It changes the risk-reward between power, aero, downforce. That, that would be yeah. my own. Like, there's no punishment then for slapping on loads of downforce because you can just whip it off. Uh, down the straight so i i don't know anyway great discussion points today guys are looking forward to tech time next week uh you and matthew summerfield tech guru expert uh not not so good at waking up on time for cutting events but on tech matters in f1 absolutely fantastic if you're thinking about joining the karting uh, the, the the bookings are open i would just ask that you email me first before you book so email me spannersready at gmail.com first uh, and i can let you know the current situation with the karting spots and uh, that is on the 25th 
of April. Follow uh, me at Spanners Ready on Twitter if you like. You can Facebook friend me now. I've got a Facebook account. I had to give in. I lost my battle with Facebook to have an account that said Spanners. So there is, if you search for Richard Ready on Facebook, we can be Facebook friends. I don't mind that. That's pretty cool. At Spanners Ready on Twitter. Matt is at MattPT55 on Twitter. His wife is at A Weaver Writes. Why am I telling you what Matt's wife is on, on Twitter? Am I a weird Wombat. stalker? Who, am I a straight? We'll talk about that after the, after the, the credits roll. I'm not just a weird stalker who just covets my friend's wives. No, Matt's wife writes fiction, fiction of a romantic nature, which you might want to purchase as a gift for yourself or your significant other. So at MattPT55 or at A Weaver Writes. Chris, the no longer bespectacled Chris Stevens, is at Chris on Racing. There we go. So we've gotten him to get rid of the underscore and the glasses. What do you want to do next? I don't know. It's peer pressure. He's so moldable. It's like he will do literally anything to get rid of the stuff we mock him for. Uh, the next thing for me is the these horrible marks under my eyes, which are a, a slight result of the surgery. Oh, okay. So you need to, we need to be sponsored by a makeup company to lighten and freshen up <laughs> i did buy my first kind of like beauty treatment today because it was a free trial for a month and i just had to pay for the shipping so and and uh people are saying the thing we need to tease you about is the shelving and that that's worked as well there's a green screen on its way to chris there is there is yeah. i'm moving office yeah uh that's gonna be fun yep i uh, will miss the bedroom when it's gone you don't know what you've got till it's gone and, uh, and it'll be back <laughs> and that was sung by I believe East 17. I'm not sure. I'm not a music buff. Uh, lastly, and least importantly on the on the panel, don't look at me like that. You know you're least important. Uh, Chris Catman Turner, a real-life animal doctor, and you are at CatmanF1 on Twitter. I'm indeed. Come follow me. Since the show is basically over, I can ask you now, uh, Matt's wife posted a, a picture of a wombat on Twitter at A Weaver Writes. Did you know this whole time that wombats were like as big as pandas and you've not shared that information with me? They have some pretty freaky animals over there. They're all different, weird sizes. They're going to take over the world. You know, but wombats, clearly everyone thinks they're the size of a gerbil or at most a fox, right? But they're not. They're the size of like a giant novelty teddy bear that is impossible to win at the fairground. They would defeat a panda in combat. If you have any more animal knowledge like that that you're withholding, I demand you specifically tell me now. Uh, Duckbill platypuses are quite poisonous. What, What, to ingest or if they attack me? If they attack you, they've got a little barb on their back feet, which is has got a poisonous barb on it and it could severely harm you. Wow! And, so then, and they lay eggs. Wow! Always punch a duckbill platypus in the face before the tail end <laughs> gets to you. Thank you. You can follow Chris Catman Turner, and I suggest you do at Catman F One on Twitter. Follow me at Spanners Ready and the show at Missed Apex F One. Wherever you see us next, please do be brave because wounds heal, chicks dig scars, but glory that lasts forever. This was Missed Apex. Maybe we should just, you know, we we end the show a little before the music and just discuss dangerous animals. I enjoyed that. I was frightened as well. How many times can you get stung by a fire ant before it kills you? Oh, say it's less than 10 because I've, I've had eight already.
I don't know. <laughs> it's a genuine question to the yeah. floor. Yeah, well, come on, Catman. You know everything about all animals. It's not specifically on the uh, the vet school curriculum. Okay. How many times you can get so, stung? Is this by the same fire ant, or is this by ten different fire ants? Different fire ants. Yeah, Why, can different. they only sting once or something? Is it like a bee? Is it a they, I don't know. I'm not entirely sure the bee thing is correct either. I think they can sting you twice. No, I have been lied to. I don't want to hear that. I don't want to hear that. I'm disgusted by that information. Welcome to the post show. And as far as you know, I've realized very quickly that we haven't done comment of the week. And now we will go to that. No more questions. Now it's time for the not that late comment of the week that definitely isn't 15 minutes after we finished recording. Comment of the week. Unbelievable. Matt, do we have a few contenders for comment of the week? Preferably not 10. We have less than double digits. You'll be happy to know. Leading off with the Kura Chindav, who says, You get my COTW, despite how good looking at Matt Trumpet's Ragsdale is. We need and to stamp uh, that out. We need to stamp uh, oops, out. I, I, you know, that. I keep on forgetting that I'm not supposed to do that. Just, just, just right. No more calling Matt handsome. That's it. Right. That's it. Right. Next legitimate candidate, please. Um, I think we're going to start at the top with Brap Garage, going way back to the beginning of the show, talking about Williams. I just want Claire to have as many chances to fail upward as Donald Trump, which is not political. It just he happens to be that person. Well, he's that a person in politics, and that it's a shame because I can't comment on that because I have no political opinions one way or the other. Continue. Uh, Juggy is in with Liberty wants excitement, right? Fire race for our Melbourne discussion. That's that's a terrible it, idea. Yeah, no, terrible idea. That can't. Uh, Jerome bonds equal machinery, equal chances, equal fights, like in the days when we pushed our dinky toys with our thumbs from one side of the room to the other side. Okay, talking about what <laughs> yep. people want from Formula One, and that that's a pretty good one. And I, the last one I'll leave you with is Michael Hertz. Chris Dorm Room is looking great today because why shouldn't we take a chance to bring that up again? <laughs> okay, I think it's the the pushy toy one. Yeah, absolutely. Jerome Bonds, you have won this week's Comment of the Week. Comment of the Week. Want flexibility? Take yoga. Want flexibility with your health insurance? Check out United Healthcare Insurance Plans. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer flexible, budget-friendly medical, dental, and vision coverage that may be right for you. More at UH1.com. Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. That's what you'll feel with Bowling Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that Bowling Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus get 15% off your first order at BowlingBranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details. Normally, being a little extra might be a bit much, but not when it comes to healthcare. That's why United Healthcare's Health Protector Guard fixed indemnity insurance plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, supplement your primary plan so you manage out-of-pocket costs. Learn more at uh1.com. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all 
small body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market.